You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling it Dirty Church. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and get ready to study God's Word together. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you, and uh, welcome to all of us who are joining us right now from Crystal Lake and Rolling Meadows and the North Shore, and I think that that is it for this morning, and those who are online, of course. Uh, Welcome. We're glad that you're joining in with us. Um, I don't know if you guys had this when you were growing up. I I had this in my home, um, is that when we approached the dinner table, we, we had like a very specific set of rules that we had to abide by, some, uh, some etiquette, if you will, at, at, the, at the dinner table. Anyone else have those sort of things while they were growing up? Or maybe you have them in your house right now, right? Uh, some of the ones that we had were that we all had to sit down together at the dinner table, right? So we all had to come together at the dinner table and, and sit down. There wasn't any of this like... Um, going off onto the couch and watching TV with your dinner. None of that. Everyone came together at the dinner table. We also had to say uh, thank you to the one who made the meal, even if we didn't like it. (laughs) Uh, Even if we did not enjoy it, we still had to say thank you. I'm looking at you, mom, and those Brussels sprouts. Uh, I did not enjoy those. I'm just, but thank you uh, for making those. We, We always had to thank the one who made the food. Um, we, we, we didn't have a dress code at our table, right? We didn't have to dress up, but, uh, we did have the low expectation that you would be dressed, right? That there would be clothes on your body. That was the low bar that we kind of had to come to. Um, one of the things was, uh, we, we had to be dismissed from the table. There was no free for all. Once you finished your food, you could get up and go and, and do whatever you wanted. And as a young man, that was, I found that um, insanely difficult, that I would be expected to sit still and do nothing for what, two minutes? Insane, right? I was, it, it was unthinkable to me, but we had to until we were dismissed. One of the main things at our table that we learned really, really quickly was that uh, we don't reach over people at the table, we pass the food, right? So if you needed something, it was passed to you, you asked for it. Because if you reached over someone, uh, you got stabbed <laughs> with a fork on the back of the hand, right? So especially my father, if you reached over my father's plate, you would expect a fork to hit you right on the back of the hand. These were some of the, the, the etiquette of the table, our dinner table. We had some, some rules, some etiquette for our dinner table. And just as there was this proper way to approach our dinner table, we're going to see that there's a proper way to appro- approach the Lord's table as well. And so the title today is Table Manners. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. Take out your Bible, turn there. And in our text, what we're going to see is, is Paul is going to be calling out the Corinthians on some bad table manners. And he's going to instruct them on uh, proper etiquette as it relates to the Lord's table. And so the, the question is, why should this matter to us? Why do the bad table manners of the Corinthians, why, why should that matter to, to you and, and to me? Why, why does that matter? Well, here's why. It's because if I come to the table, if we come to the table without proper manners, meaning, or meditation, it will destroy unity in the body of Christ. If we come to the table, meaning the Lord's Supper, communion, 
Without proper manners, meaning, or meditation, it will destroy unity in the body of Christ. I want you to think about for a moment how many meals you have each year, right? Uh, Especially with your family or friends. Typically, we have one meal together a day, maybe, right? If you're that type of family. Maybe you have a, a breakfast together or a lunch or a dinner together as a family. Um, Maybe you gather together frequently with friends or your growth group and you have a meal together. We have holidays, right? We have Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and Fourth of July if you're feeling crazy, right? And we get together and we have a meal on those days. What about special occasions, anniversaries, birthdays, right? The list goes on. We, We come together for these meals throughout the year because in our culture still today, Sitting down for a meal is still pretty significant, and we do it a lot, because I think we know intrinsically that there is a value in a family or a group of people coming together for a meal. It somehow unites us, and it somehow grows us together, and if that's happening at just a regular routine meal with the family or friends, if that uniting and growing is happening at at routine meals like that, imagine what would happen if we came together for a meal of significance. We have such a meal in the church. We actually have one meal as the church. It's called communion. It is the one meal that we come together for as a church family. And it is not a big meal. It is not big. It is a tiny piece of bread, maybe. I actually don't know if that's bread. Is it? I don't, well, we say it's bread, so it must be bread, right? Um, It's bread. It's tiny bread, tiny juice. It's not a big meal, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And so we need to make sure we're coming to the table properly. The Lord's Supper properly, communion properly, not because of some dogmatic ritual, but because this really matters and has great significance for us and for the church. So if I come to the table without proper manners, meaning, or meditation, I will destroy unity in the body of Christ. So first thing, we come to the table with proper manners because manner matters. We come to the table with proper manners because manner matters. Let's look at verse 17. It says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now, you remember at the beginning of chapter 11, you could just skip up to it. Paul says, now I commend you. He's commending the Corinthian church for some things that they're doing. Now, here in verse 17, he's saying, but in the following things, I do not commend you. In fact, Paul is pretty upset with the Corinthians. Paul is not pleased with the behavior of the Corinthians in this manner. Their, Their table manners are bad, and he is not commending them, because when you come together, the Corinthians... It is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, I think when we think about the church coming together, we think about this pretty positively, right? We think think that, well, that's good. The, The church should come together, right? And it is good. Hebrews 10 says that we should not neglect to meet together, which is the habit of, of, of many. We don't, we don't do that, right? We, we, we come together. We encourage each other to come together because it is for our good. It's for our better to help each other continue in the faith, to, to be able to have a place to come and worship God, to receive teaching, to, to be unified together with each other under Christ. It is for our better, right? So what could possibly be happening in the Corinthian church, where they're coming together 
is not for the better, but is for the worse. What could possibly be happening in this church at Corinth? It's essentially saying it it would be better if you guys didn't meet together. Because when you come together, it is not for the betterment of you. It is for the worse. Now, Paul gives some reasons for this. He gives some example. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe that in part, this word here, uh, I believe it in part is translated also as, I, and I believe a certain report. I know that those don't seem like they're the same, but they are, all right? And I believe a certain report, probably the same report that Paul received earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians. And what he's hearing is he's hearing about these divisions that are happening um, amongst this group of people. And in fact, this is what's happening. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So this is Paul probably being uh, a little bit ironic, maybe a little bit sarcastic in this report that he has received from the Corinthians. Um, They're they're holding a a specific view that the, the differences among them were actually a reflection of their genuineness in the faith or their approval by God. Their differences were, were, the, were the mark of that. And we actually see that the Corinthians do struggle with this quite a bit throughout the whole book, is that they tend to elevate themselves above their brothers and sisters. And so they're doing that here in this context. They're, they're, their differences, they're creating factions. And so we know in this passage that some of the social elite or the wealthy They viewed themselves as as genuine or approved by God. They were a faction of people, probably because they believed that God truly blessed them because they had this wealth or the social status, that God was favoring their life. And that was evident by how much money they had or how much status they had. And they broke up into these factions based on differences. Could you imagine if this was happening in, in our church today? If we had different factions that was causing division. We have people separating themselves based on differences, saying, I'm the genuine believers. No, I'm the genuine believer. No, I'm the one approved by God, right? Or because some have wealth, they're separating themselves based on that and saying, listen, we are the haves and we're the ones approved by God. And so we're not gonna associate with the other ones who, who don't have this. Can you imagine what would happen in our church if we did that? We can see how quickly that that would become divisive. It would create division in the, in the church. It would destroy the unity in our church. And that is exactly what we see happening here in the Corinthian church. It says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. Well, wait a minute, Paul. I mean, we're, we're having the bread and we're having the, the wine. What do you mean it's not the Lord's supper that, that we eat? Of course it's the Lord's supper. He's, no, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Are you kidding me? How could this be happening? Paul is incredulous right now. He's beside himself. How, how, how? What? What do you mean? People are going hungry and and people are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. That's not the Lord's Supper. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? 
Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. No, I will not. What was happening here in the church is that there were wealthy social elites and they were coming early to the gathering, to the Lord's Supper. They were coming early because they didn't have work obligations. So they came early and they were coming to the table and having communion, the Lord's Supper, before everyone else arrived. And they would eat all of the food, they would drink all of the drink, and they would take all of the best seats Remember, they were meeting in houses at this time, probably large houses, but there's only so many seats around the table. And these people would come early and they would eat all the food, drink all the drink, and take all of the best seats at the gathering. And then when the workday gets over, those who had to work all day had an obligation. They come to the gathering and all of the food is gone. It's been eaten. All of the drink has been drunk and all of the best seats have been taken. And so they have to sit in the worst Seats, factions, the haves and the have-nots. You see it? The haves and the have-nots. This would have been incredibly humiliating to the ones who would come to this gathering later with all the food and drink gone and in the worst seats. This here, what's happening in the Corinthian church is a perversion of the whole thing. It's a perversion. They were gathering together, but they weren't actually gathering together. They were divided. The Lord's Supper, which is supposed to show and grow unity in the church, was being treated in such a way that it did the opposite. It divided. So Paul says, it is not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. It's not the Lord's Supper. What should have been for the better of the church was for the worse because of the manner in which it was happening. And so what we see throughout All of this is that in the church in Corinth, they're doing the right activity. They're doing the right activity. They're gathering together as a church. They're taking communion, the Lord's Supper. These are right activities, but, but the way that they are doing them is wrong. And so it's all wrong. And when we come to the table, we need to do so with proper manner because manner matters. It's not just about right activity. It's about right manner. The manner in which we are doing these right activities, the way in which we are gathering together and taking the Lord's Supper. We have a saying here, and we have it in our house as well, that even, uh, even if I say the right thing, if I say it in the wrong way, I'm still wrong. Anyone heard that before? Right? Even if I say the right thing, if I, if I say it in the wrong way, I am wrong. So even if I say the right thing, correct, factual, right, if I say it in the wrong way, Um, to manipulate someone, to humiliate someone, to, um, uh, with dripping sarcasm, out of rage, right? If I say it in the wrong way, I am wrong. I'm wrong. Now, I asked uh, my wife Kelly this week to give me an example of a time that I had uh, been right about something, and, but I said it in the wrong way, and so I was wrong, and she's like, okay, let me think about it. She comes back, and she goes, "Uh, Tommy, I couldn't think of an example, And I puffed out my chest a little bit. I'm like, yeah, all right. I say all the right things in all the right ways. She goes, well, no, you're just never right. (laughs) We just celebrated nine years of marriage, and uh, she's right. I have never won an argument one time, so I have never been right. That is true. That was a right thing. But then she laughed at me, 
And so even though she was right, uh, she was wrong in the way that she was right. And so just want to... <laughs> Manner matters. Manner matters, not just in the things that I say, but in, in my activity as well. In my Christian activity. If I do the right thing, but do it the wrong way, it is a perversion of the very right thing that I'm, that I'm doing. So how do we guard ourselves against what's happening here at the church in Corinth? How do we guard ourselves from this divisiveness? Well, I wrote down a couple of things. The first thing is that we need to destroy factions. We need to destroy factions. It says that there were factions among them. Now, maybe you don't understand that exact terminology, so I'm going to bring it up to our modern vernacular. Uh, cliques in the church. If you don't understand the word click, uh, maybe gang. My gang of people, right? Uh, if you're a little bit younger, this is your squad, right? This is the, it's like my, people like me. These are my people. This is my faction of people. These are the people who I do my life with. I'm only going to gather with people who are, the thing that I hear often is in the same stage of life as me. Right? I'm only going to gather with people who have young kids because we're in the stage of, of, of young kids. And so that's all I'm going to hang out with in the, in the, in the church. Or uh, we don't have kids anymore. And so we only want to hang out with the people who don't have kids anymore because we're past that season of life. And so we're only going to hang out with, with our people. I only want to hang out with people who are like me, who, who, who have the same opinions as me, who maybe are the same politically as me. Same tax bracket as me. Same interests as me. These are factions. These are cliques. These are gangs. And these are no good for the church. These are no good. We need to destroy these in our church wherever we see them. It is so beautiful for people of different walks of life to come together in community. Giving a different perspective We don't form factions based upon the differences of our life. We are all unified in the body of Christ. So we need to destroy these factions as we see them in our church. And we do really need to be concerned about our manner. We do. We we typically think about uh, things like, I I need to do the right things. I need to do the right activities. I have my to-do list of things that I have to do, and I have to make sure I do all of the right things. Rarely do we think about doing it in the right way. I need to come together as the church in the right way. I need to interact in my growth group in the right way. I need to approach the Lord's Supper in the right way. I need to speak to my brother and sister in the right way. We have to be concerned about our manner because manner matters. It's not just doing the right thing. It's about how we're doing it. And then third, live humbly. That's one of the big problems that we see here in the church of Corinth is that these people were not living humbly. They were being selfish. They were only thinking about themselves and their bellies. They're like, we're going to come early. We're going to eat. We're going to hang out with the people that we like to hang out with. We're just going to think about ourselves. And they made no thought of those people who were coming later to the dinner and how they would feel and what that would do to them. They were only thinking about themselves. This was selfishness. And so we need to see that and and act humbly with one another, considering others more significant than ourselves. Destroy factions, 
be concerned about our manner, live humbly. We need to come to the table with proper manner because manner matters. Second thing, we come to the table with proper meaning. This is remembrance, not ritual. Proper meaning, remembrance, not ritual. For I've received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So Paul wasn't there in the upper room when the the last supper was instituted. Uh, He had received it later and he had delivered it to the Corinthian church. And now he is reminding them again. He is reminding them again of, of, of this important truth that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. This is going to be an important word for later. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of the proper meaning of the Lord's Supper. When we come to the table, we need to have a proper meaning of what it is that we are taking part in. And the reason that this is such a big deal to Paul and to us is because it's one of the ordinances of the church. An ordinance is uh, simply something that Jesus instituted, that the apostles taught, and that the early church practiced. That's what an ordinance is. Jesus instituted it, the apostles taught it, and the early church practiced it. And, th- and there's only two ordinances. There's two. There is uh, baptism and communion. And, and so we take them very seriously because these are things that Christ himself instituted for us, for the church. So I want to take a moment, and I just want to make sure that we really understand the significance and the meaning of these symbols in community, the bread and the cup. So we have to go back to the Old Testament, the story of uh, Passover, uh, Israel being under slavery in Egypt. You guys know this story? You remember this story? So uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says to, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't think that I will. And God says, all right, here's 10 plagues. And uh, the last one of those was an angel coming and killing every firstborn of Egypt. But he says to his people, he says, if you uh, kill an innocent lamb and put its blood over your doorpost, when the night comes and the angel comes and he sees the blood of that innocent lamb, he will pass over your house. And that's exactly what happened. And then uh, Pharaoh lets the Israelites go and then he regrets it immediately and starts chasing after them. And then God uh, parts the Red Sea, Israel crosses, Egypt tries to cross, uh, Red Sea unparts, Israel saved, right? They, they, are, they are rescued from slavery. They are delivered from slavery. That's the story of, 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 of Passover. That's the story of, of, of Israel and, and, and Egypt. And so they then after that uh, kind of dedicated a, a feast to this, a meal, where every year they would come together and they would remember what God had done. They would remember the deliverance that they experienced out of the slavery of Egypt. And they called that the Passover meal, where they would gather and eat. And in this meal, they had different symbols. And and it kind of walks through the story of how Israel became free 
from the Egyptians because of what the Lord did. And each thing has a significance, each element in this meal. And it truly was a meal. Each, each element had significance and it helped them to remember that the Lord had delivered them, that he had saved them, had, he had rescued them. And so now we fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and they are having this very meal. They are having the Passover meal and they're going through this meal and Jesus takes two things out of this meal. He takes the bread and he takes the cup. And these aren't just random symbols that he decides, you know what, I'm gonna use this one and I'm just gonna say that this is my body. He doesn't do that. These aren't random symbols. In fact, the bread that he takes is, is something called matzah. It is an unleavened bread. I actually have a picture of it for you. This is unleavened bread. Uh, leaven uh, to, uh, to the Israelites is a, is a symbol of sin. And so because the bread is unleavened, the leaven has been taken out from it, it is without sin. That's the bread. Uh, also, as you can see, it is, uh, to cook properly, it needs to be pierced. And as it cooks, because of how it's pierced, it is also striped. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing the connection that's being made here? That Jesus, sinless son of God, was pierced and striped for our transgressions. Isaiah 53, right? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds or stripes, we are healed. This is the bread. Jesus takes that bread with all of that meaning attached to it. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he takes the cup. Now I want you to see this because naturally we would want to think that he's going to say wine, right? Bread and wine. But he says bread and cup. He does that intentionally because the cup is a symbol. It's a symbol in the Passover meal. There's actually four cups in the Passover meal. Each one of them has different significance. It's actually the same cup, but once they drink it and then they fill it back up, it is a new cup with different meaning. And so after supper, the, traditionally what the cup would be that they drink together is the third cup. This is the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. It is commonly used to signify the story of the Passover lamb. In fact, they would say, as they take the third cup, they would say that we were slaves, but now we are free. And the people around the table would say, how? And they would respond by the death of that innocent Passover lamb. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing the symbol? Are you seeing the significance? And Jesus takes this cup with all of its significance. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. What's the new covenant? What does that mean, Jesus? Well, as the blood of the Passover lamb covered the Israelites in Egypt, so now the blood of Jesus Christ covers believers today. That's the new covenant. His blood covers us, redeems us. That he is the innocent Passover lamb and his blood has been poured out for our redemption symbols of that tiny bread and the tiny cup we take have massive meaning and significance. And Jesus 
in the Lord's Supper. And Paul here are bringing proper meaning to these symbols, reminding us, showing us. And we do believe, by the way, that they are symbols. Um, If you grew up in the Catholic tradition, maybe you heard differently that something called transubstantiation, where the uh, after they bless the bread and the wine becomes the literal body and blood of, of Jesus. And there are many benefits to this literal body and blood of Jesus, but one of those benefits is that it uh, forgives you of venial sin, which is not mortal sin. Mortal sin is the big bad sins. Venial sins are the lesser sins. And when you take communion, holy communion, because it's the literal body and blood of Jesus, it forgives you, again, these, these venial sins. Listen, we don't believe that. We do not believe that. We believe that when Jesus said it was finished on the cross, it was actually finished. Uh, He is seated on the throne. In fact, that's the picture that we have, meaning that his work is done. His work is, is, is finished. The work on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, taking the wrath of God onto himself for our sin, it is sufficient for us today. We don't need the literal body and blood of Jesus to forgive our sins over and over and over again. His work on the cross covers us. It's sufficient completely. His sacrifice on the cross was once and for all, Hebrews says. Covered. His death, sufficient for us completely. That's what we believe. And so these symbols have massive meaning to us. And we cannot allow this in our life to just be some dogmatic ritual where we're coming, oh, it's communion Sunday. I guess we'll do this all over again. This cannot be a dogmatic ritual to us. We need to approach the table with proper meaning. It is a remembrance, not a ritual. It is a remembrance, not a ritual. Think of it less like your morning routine, the mindless ritual that you do every single morning. It's not like that. Think of it more like a funeral. What do you do at a funeral? You remember. You remember the life, death, and impact that someone had. This is a deep remembrance. And so we come to the table with proper meaning, remembering. And I just wrote down three things that we remember. We remember the death of Christ. Remember his bodily death. The sinless son of God pierced and striped for our transgression. Remember the death of Christ. We also remember what the death of Christ accomplished. He took on the full wrath of God reserved for us because of our sin. He actually took the cup. The the cup is a symbol as well of, of God's wrath being poured out. He took the cup of God's wrath. It was poured out on him, on Jesus, And his shed blood purchased our freedom so that we can be reconciled to God and have salvation. We remember what the death of Christ accomplished and we remember our our unity in the death of Christ. We all come to the cross of Christ as sinners in need of grace. Every single one of us approach the cross in the same condition. Sinners in need of grace. The ground is level at the foot of of the cross. Jesus didn't die for specific factions of of people based on your socioeconomic status or anything else. All are one in Christ. We are united with the Lord. And because we are united with the Lord, we are therefore united with each other. We are unified 
And we are also unified in proclaiming his death until he comes and he is coming again. So as we take communion, we are proclaiming that death until he comes. So we come to the table with proper manner, meaning, and lastly this, with proper meditation. With proper meditation, prepare before you eat. Prepare before you eat. It says, whoever therefore, because of all of that, because of the manner and the meaning, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Be guilty concerning the, the, the body and blood of the Lord. Remember, manner matters. We cannot do this approaching the table. We cannot come and take this in an unworthy way. If we take communion and we are out humiliating our brothers and sisters in Christ, or we are taking communion without the proper remembering of, of the meaning of communion, we are, we are sinning against the body and against the blood of Christ, meaning his people and him. So we come to the table with proper meditation, meaning we, we're thinking deeply about some things. We need to prepare ourselves so that we don't drink the cup in an unworthy manner, right? There's always preparation that's needed for a meal, isn't there? Anytime you have people over, you know this, right? There's preparation that, that, that needs to happen. We had some folks over uh, last Friday, and there was some preparation that needed to happen. Like, we, we had to, first of all, invite them. That's an important step. Uh, we had to order some food uh, because we don't want anyone to taste our food, apparently, <laughs> right? We want to save them from that. And so we ordered some food, and uh, we had to clean up the house because our kids love to make a mess everywhere. And we accidentally invited too many people. And so we had to figure out more chairs and, and more tables so everyone had a, a place to eat and sit and, 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 and be with each other. Uh, I had to come up with a game uh, so that we could play and have fun with each other, right? There was some preparation that needed to happen before the meal. There's some things that we needed to get in, into place, some pre preparation that needed to happen. And this meal, this meal, the Lord's Supper is no different. There's some preparation that, that needs to happen. And Paul gives us the preparation uh, in the text. It is a preparation by examination. It is a preparation by examination. So let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. How do we not uh, drink the cup in an unworthy manner. First, we need, we need to examine ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves by examining ourselves. And how, how exactly do we examine ourselves? It says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the first word, right? Discern, discerning the body. Am I divided with any of my brothers or my sisters? This is preparation by examination. Discern the body. Am I divided with any of my brothers and sisters in the church? Am I using my status or my wealth or any other difference in my life to humiliate a brother or sister, showing them that, that, that I have it all and, and that they have nothing, that I am the have and they are the have-nots? Is there a relational divide between me and a brother or sister in the church? Are they in this room and you have a hard time looking at them because there's just a relational problem going on and you are divided from your brother and sister. 
How can you make that right? How can you reconcile? Am I forming factions and thinking of and treating others as less than if they don't hold my same opinions? Do I think of others as less than if they're not the same politically as myself? Thinking to yourself, are they even a Christian if they think that politically? We need to discern the body. And there is a warning that is attached to all of this. If we come to the table in an unworthy manner, is that we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. If we come and we do not discern the body, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. Paul goes further. He says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Do you see how seriously God takes this? Do you see how seriously he takes this? This is a warning. If we don't do this, if we don't prepare by examining ourselves, we are drinking judgment upon ourselves. And that judgment sometimes looks like illness and death. Because God takes this so very seriously. I'm not saying that everyone who is ill or has died has drunk judgment upon themselves, right? What I'm telling you is that God takes this very seriously. And you better believe that he takes it just as seriously now as he did then. Which means that the judgment that he's talking about is a very real possibility for us today in this manner. And so we need, we must discern the body and we also need to judge ourselves truly. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So we need to discern the body and we need to judge ourselves truly. Because if we do that, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things I will come and give direction, uh, about the other things I will give directions when I come. So we need to judge ourselves truly. Judge ourselves truly. I can't hide it from God. I can't. I can't hide what's going on in my life, in my heart. I can't hide it from God. He sees all of it. I, I, I need to be transparent with God. I need to be honest with God. He sees it all. Have I sinned against my brother or, or sister in some way? Have I, have I sinned against God? Do, do I have unrepentant sin in my life? As I approach the table for communion, let me judge myself truly. Examine myself. What is the state of my heart towards God and others? And let me honestly repent before the Lord. This isn't a cleaning up of yourself morally before we come to the table. It's an honest examination. It's an honest examination. God, is there any ways that I have been living outside of your will? Is there any ways that I have been living that, that are not true of my identity as a, as a son or daughter in Christ? In God, right? Help me see those things and repent of those things. Because Christ's work on the cross bought my redemption. 
Help me to live in light of that. That's this examination. Do you notice that there's also, when he's talking about the judgment, he says, but when we are judged, so even if we do these things and we are judged, we are judged by the Lord. It means we are being disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This judgment is actually a grace to us when we get it wrong. It is discipline from the Lord because he loves us and cares for us and wants the actual best for us and knows if we keep doing the thing that we're doing, it is not the best. It will destroy us. Just the same way we as parents discipline our kids. Why do we do it? Because we love them and we want to see them turn away from the things that will do them hard and go towards the better things. So we discipline them because of our great love and grace for them. And that's what this is here. It is, a, it is a grace so that we may not be condemned along with the rest of the world. So we need to prepare before we eat. We need to prepare before we eat. We, we come to the table with proper manner, meeting, and meditation. Because communion is, is really designed for us. It's designed to, to point us to the gospel over and over and over and over again. Every time we take it, it is pointing us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To help us see it more and more and more clearly. You know, I love a quote by Charles Spurgeon on communion. He says, what do they use spectacles for, glasses? What do they use them for? To look at? No. To look through them. So use the bread and the cup as a pair of spectacles. Look through them and do not be satisfied until you can say, yes, yes, I can see the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So let us not be satisfied until we can look through these symbols and say, yes, yes, I see the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And we're going to prepare to come to the table together as a family, and it is um, a family meal. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is our time to have our meal together, to remember. And so listen, if you're here and maybe you haven't um, trusted or believed in Jesus as, as your savior, can I just tell you, uh, you can do that this morning. You can do it right now. The, the invitation to, to his table is open for you. It is open. We have been talking about the gospel this whole morning. And we come to him as sinners, but he has the free gift of grace because of what he has done on the cross. Jesus living the perfect life, the, the life that you and I can never live. Dying the death that you and I deserve to die because we have sinned against a holy and just God. And his blood poured out, purchased our freedom. Reconciled us to God. And he rose again, defeating sin and death, and he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God. And we are to believe in the Lord Jesus. 
we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. You can make that choice today. You can come to him. The invitation to the table is open. And I would say, if you make that decision, take communion with us. You're part of the family now. But if you've decided not to, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, just let those elements pass you by. And for those of us who have made that decision, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, let us take this moment now and let us make sure that we put into practice exactly what we have heard from the scriptures today. Let us prepare and examine our hearts. Let us discern the body. Am I at odds with anyone? Am I divided from anyone? Are there things, factions, cliques that need to be destroyed? Do I need to reconcile to a brother or sister? And let's judge ourselves truly. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Lord, is there any wickedness in me? Help me to see it before you and to repent. Let's go before the Lord right now. Let's prepare. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbiblechapel.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.